The victim's charred body was found in a garbage bin, a tragic end to a young, beautiful, and intelligent woman. This incident has left the community in mourning and raised concerns about the safety of women, especially young women. However, the true story behind her heartbreaking death is even more horrific. Welcome back to our channel. Today, we will delve into the Krabo Makona case, one of the most shocking and heartbreaking cases in South Africa. Who was the murderer? What led to his heinous actions against Karabo? Join us as we explore the killer's psyche, the investigation process, and the truth behind this case. If you enjoy crime shows, then this is definitely one chilling and terrifying case you won't want to miss. Our investigation takes us to Johannesburg, South Africa, a city known for its stunning landscapes, vibrant culture, and pleasant climate. However, our story is anything but beautiful. Johannesburg, initially an outgrowth of the Zulu Empire, experienced rapid growth with the gold rush in 1884, becoming a major economic center. Despite its troubled past, the city has developed over the past century, now home to over 5 million people and widely regarded as the commercial and financial center of the country. Deep Cliff is a sizable part of the township of Soweto in the city of Johannesburg, and it is located to the southwest of the city's central business area. The name Karabo Makona was given to one of the people who lived in Deep Cliff at the time. She was born on March 27, 1995, to her mother Lorraine, also known as Lolo, and her father McGregany. Her birth date is documented as March 27. Krabo had a strong connection to her family throughout her childhood, including her parents, her younger brother, and her elder sister. They frequently rallied on one another as a support system. Krabo and her older sister Bentley continued to sleep in the same bed at the home they shared. It was common knowledge that Krabo was a kind and affectionate guy. Those who knew her well said that she had a lovely and generous heart and that she was courteous and polite to everyone that she came in contact with. In addition to being a caring person, Krabo has a sharp mind of her own. She started her post-secondary study in business studies by enrolling in classes at Regenesis Business School immediately after she received her diploma from Hell High School in 2014. She eventually earned her pilot's license from the OFSA while she was attending Regenesis Business School on a part-time basis. This accomplishment was made possible by the OFSA. In addition to her intelligence and generosity, Krabo had a strong commitment to advancing the rights of women and children. She was also very gentle. When it comes to the well-being of women and children, Johannesburg is particularly backward in its outlook, despite the fact that this is a widespread issue across the world. Because of this, Krabo had the sense that she was being called to do something. She was a regular volunteer at the shelter run by Fred Hartley. There. She would give seminars and speeches to women who were in violent relationships, with the goals of educating and empowering those women. And if you think you will never amount to anything, you are absolutely correct in thinking so. Because you are admitting that these are the terms you are using. No one will be able to confuse you. 
That's just how the law of attraction works. I also shouldn't declare that I wish to get really tall since it's not true. Carabo was highly passionate about women's rights, which given the statistics of the city, was justified on her part. She was so committed to the cause, in point of fact, that she had the ambition to one day establish and grow a non-governmental organization, NGO, or a charitable organization centered on it. In October of 2016, when she was still attending Regenesis Business School, she made the acquaintance of a man called Sandile Manso. This meeting took place during the aforementioned time period. Sandile Manso was originally from Mfulini, and he worked as a foreign exchange broker in the city. Sakane is a town located in the coal fields to the east of Johannesburg. He received his education there. He then moved on to pursue a career in graphics design. However, at this point in time, Sanile, he was 29 years old. Sanile was an extremely likable person from the outside looking in. He had a magnetic presence, was a deeply devout guy, was quite wealthy, and he was never married. He was no longer in contact with his wife and children, despite the fact that he had three children of his own. The religious beliefs of Sanile were self-evident. He gave off the impression of having morals, and the source of his apparent fortune was the success he had in establishing his own binary options trading firm, which he aptly titled Trillion Dollar Legacy. But in any case, the topic for today's discussion is market psychology. How should a company with a trillion dollar legacy handle the field of trade psychology? You may read what others have to say about trade psychology by googling trade psychology, but this is our perspective on trade, which we call psychology. In the foreign exchange market, the binary options market, or the stock market, you always have one primary goal in mind. And what exactly is the purpose of that? Sendile's success in business was in large part due to the high moral standards he upheld throughout his life. He was quite literally living the high life, from the fact that he wore Gucci on a daily basis to the fact that he had a gold BMW and a special edition Mercedes-Benz, all the way up to the fact that he resided in the Santon Sky apartment complex. Guy, when things are bad, friends of yours, Guy, I've been going through a rough patch in my life. When times are harsh, friends of yours. But yeah. My lads pushed through to come give me some support when I needed it the most. Another M5 here we go, to wrap things up. This is it right there, Major General right there. However, that may have been a too much for his ego to handle. People who were interested in foreign exchange trading might take one day lessons from him for a cost of around 6,000 rand or 300 pounds or $400 with the expectation that he would make money from his transactions. Krabo got closer to him for all of these reasons, in addition, of course, to his charismatic personality, which was contagious. She recognized his moral character and the fact that he was wealthy was an added benefit. It didn't take long for the two of them to become closer to one another, and before anybody else realized it, they were involved in a romantic relationship. Sandile admired Carabo for his bold nature, 
while Carabo admired Sand Isle for virtually every aspect of his character. From the outside, the two did give off the impression of being a dominant pair. In November 2016, one month into their romance, Carabo moved in with Sand Isle at his Sky apartment, leaving her family home. This occurred one month after they had begun dating. But very immediately after that, there was a change in the dynamic of the relationship. Carabo would find herself in the hands of the evil that she had preached against at the shelters, for Sanao wasn't exactly the guy that he portrayed himself to be. The first indicators of domestic abuse started to become apparent right around the holiday season of 2016, which was in late December. Krabo told her pals that San Nile had broken her phone during an altercation after pushing her against a wall and then shoving her against the wall. And then, after another three months, in March of 2017, the violence reached a new peak. It was during this time that she started emailing images to her friends of her injuries, writing them texts describing his attacks on her, and divulging the emotional abuse that San Nile would spew at her. It was a gloomy and perverse twist of irony. Carabo was an advocate who fought for women who were in violent relationships, yet here she was in one herself, despite the fact that she frequently urged people to leave abusive situations and often enabled them to do so. It was too late for her to fight her way out of it now. But it wasn't until Carabo's birthday on March 27, 2017, that the abusive behavior truly began to drive a wedge between the two of them. During the early hours of Carabo's birthday, her friends and relatives made many attempts to get in touch with her so that they could wish her a good birthday. They were unable to contact her since she was staying in the hospital, which was the reason why they were unable to reach her. She didn't phone her family until much later in the morning, but she did ultimately give them an update on where she was. Sand Nile had once again destroyed her phone, and this time it was in pieces all the way through. Carabo confided in her mother that her father had physically abused her. She had bruises on her arms and neck, in addition to a black eye, and she had these markings. At this point, she felt compelled to report Sand Nile to the authorities for his alleged involvement in the attack she had just witnessed. But much to her astonishment, when she arrived at the police station, she discovered that San Nile had been there earlier that morning. This would happen each time she went there. In point of fact, he had filed a complaint with the police alleging that she had assaulted him. Because of what Carabo had left her that day, San Nile had finally come to the conclusion that the guy was a monstrous being. She relocated her living arrangements to be closer to her parents, sister, and brother. Now, I really wish I could say that here is where the narrative comes to an end. Carabo had already put up with far more than anybody should in an abusive relationship. And although she was free for the time being, regrettably, that wouldn't be the case for very long. It had been two weeks since Carabo's birthday, and the month of April was currently in the middle. At this point, the police had already dismissed the allegations brought forth by Sand Isle and Krabo. They said that they did not have the time to cope with disagreements between romantic partners. Krabo's annoyance at this is quite understandable, but at least the markings left on her skin are starting to fade, 
and she is determined to move on with the rest of her life. That was the reason why she was hanging out with her girlfriends at a small nightclub in Skinton that particular evening. The beginning of the evening went off without a hitch. While music was playing in the background, the women were clinking their glasses together. However, it wasn't long before our money-hating, God-loving saint, San Niall, made his appearance. Even he was participating in the night out with the other gods. The nightclub was located only a few blocks away from his flat, thus it might be considered to be in his immediate vicinity. It was too late to prevent Carabo from continuing to chat to Sand Isle, despite the fact that her friends had told her to stop. When they resumed their conversation, they quickly reverted to their previous patterns of behavior. Carabo informed her mother, Lolo, on April 27, 2018, that she would be spending the evening with Sand Isle. She said that she was excited about the date. Later on that evening, she mentioned that, much to Lolo's dismay, she was considering staying the night at Sanal's place, at his apartment, and that she may do so. And there is a major flaw in the narrative because she did in fact go out with San Isle on that particular evening. A fierce disagreement broke out between the two of them while they were out together once again at a nightclub in Santon. The dispute was fueled by old sentiments as well as booze and old habits die hard. A violent altercation broke out as a result of the debate. It appeared as though the two had reached a truce, at least with regard to the more physical parts of their conflict, but it was abundantly clear that there was still tension between the two. Even though the reason is unknown, Krabo continued to leave the club with Sand Isle and even followed him back to his apartment after they had gone. At 2.48 in the morning on April 28, she was recorded on surveillance footage with San Isle as they entered the foyer of his sky apartment. During the entirety of the tape, neither of them spoke a single word to one another. On Carabo's face could clearly be seen the expression of both disturbed sentiments and discontent. And you can probably predict where this is heading because the last time Carabo was seen alive was on this CCTV tape which would be the final time she was ever seen alive, period. The 28th of April. It was the morning after the next day. The anxiety level of Carabo's mother continued to rise. She had made a few calls to her daughter's phone, but her daughter was not picking up the phone when she called. Also, she did not respond to any of my SMS messages. They just had a brief conversation the night before. But Carabo let in that she was unable to converse at this time. It didn't seem right, and when she realized that she had been silent since the previous night, she knew that something was up. When Lolo phoned Sand Isle, he inquired about Carabo's whereabouts. When Sand Isle heard Lolo, he gave off an impression of being shocked. He was totally clueless. It would appear that Carabo had gone the previous evening. Bonolo, Carabo's sister, went to the Santon Sky building while everything was going on, and while she was there, she spoke with the personnel about whether or not they had seen Carabo at any point. The response was in the negative, but they did acknowledge discovering something. The identification documents belonging to Carabo were discovered by one of the building's cleaners who was working there. 
The garbage was contained within a trash bag, and the trash bag was located in the room just close to the elevator. Krabo's family were concerned as a result of this revelation. Nonetheless, the rest of the day passed without any further information being made available. The family of Karabo contacted the authorities to report that she had gone missing. It is unclear what caused the delay in the police department's response to the situation. Nonetheless, the investigation took almost two days to complete. It would be the lobbying done by Karabo's pals across various social media platforms that would truly gather up exposure for the case. Lolo, who at this point hadn't slept in two days, gave Sanile another call on the 29th of April. She wanted to know where Karabo was and what he had done to her, so she questioned him about it. She didn't say anything to imply that he may kill her, but his reaction was incredibly unusual nonetheless. In response to her statement, he told her, I don't know where Karabo is, but I didn't kill her. If it doesn't qualify as suspense, I don't know what does. When Sinile's friends came over to see him at his apartment, they observed an abnormally huge wet spot of carpet in the area of his kitchen where he prepares food. He made light of the situation by claiming that his refrigerator had broken and that it had poured all over the carpet. It was the 30th of April by the time the police finally got around to investigating the matter. This was three days after Karabo had been reported missing. And because the police were now eager to question Sanile, Lolo went with them to his flat to do the interrogation. However, by the time they arrived, there was no sign of him anywhere in the area. Sanile responded when he was called on his cell phone. He told the cops that the earliest he could be there was late that afternoon. He couldn't get there much earlier than that. He was away from the city. Therefore, the police and Lolo waited as they awaited his return to the scene. The authorities went to the building's workers and requested video from the CCTV cameras. They would provide them security video of what was going on over the elevators if they were told to cooperate. This turned out to be extremely important evidence since they would later find out that the day after Karabo went missing, at 9.57 p.m. On April 28, Sanile gathered a wheelie bin and brought it to his flat. This information was discovered later. After waiting another 10 minutes, he then relocated the trash can to the subterranean garage where he stored his automobile. This took place at 10.07 p.m. Also, I'll give you one guess as to what was in that garbage can. He left his garage at 10.29 p.m. and got into his car. So, Sanile had first informed Karabo's family and friends that he believed Karabo had gone home that night and that she had not stayed with him after partying. Karabo had not stayed with Sanile after she had been out clubbing. However, the plot had just taken an unexpected turn. He was explaining to the police that he thought Karabo had boarded a flight to London, which is located in the United Kingdom. However, this was a pull move on his part since not only had his first justification been debunked by the CCTV, but also his second excuse had been debunked by the cameras. In the wastebasket, the passport was discovered. They detained Sand Isle for the purpose of interrogation. 
Lolo accompanied the police to the station in the vain hope that she may learn something there about her daughter. At this point in the day and thus far along in the procedure, she felt like she was nothing more than a shell of a human being. She was numb and weak, and she was profoundly distressed about the absence of her daughter, especially considering the stark reality that there was a good chance she would never see her daughter again. After barely one hour of waiting, Lolo was escorted to the side of the building by another law enforcement official. She was led into an adjacent room and informed of the news that was the last thing she wanted to hear at that moment in time. It was verified by Sandile Manso that Carabo had passed away. What's going on, guys? The sun is out once more. Trading-wise, this week is shaping up to be a very busy one, so keep your eyes peeled. After he made his confession, Sand Isle would provide more than one account of the events that transpired. Even while he denied being guilty for any of it, he did admit to taking her corpse from the scene of the crime. However, this was done before dumping it at a nearby neighborhood known as Bramley, which is another region in Johannesburg and is only seven kilometers away from Santon. He also led law enforcement to the scene, but by the time they arrived, the corpse had already been removed, leaving behind just a ditch that was nearby a field that showed evidence of being burned. Officially charged with the homicide of Carabo McCona, San Isle was taken into custody by the police. However, it wouldn't be until several days later that police in the Bramley neighborhood would make the connection between McCona's death and this location. Later on, forensics would be brought in to connect the links. And early in May, DNA testing would verify that Carabo's bones, despite their extensive deterioration, were really her. Back in the holding cell, Sanao's narrative was also quickly becoming more chaotic. Not only did he deny ever making any comments to police after the discovery of Carabo's remains, but he also accused them of lying to attempt to frame him as the murder suspect. This came after the police discovered Carabo's bones. After some time had passed, he would alter his tale once more. It would appear that upon arriving home from work on April 28, he discovered Carabo's body in his flat, which is consistent with the notion that she had committed herself. He had to get rid of the body because he was afraid that people would blame him for what happened. However, in the newly revised fourth draft, his tale took on a more surreal tone. Him asserted that Carabo and him participated in a blood ritual together sometime in the recent past. It would appear that this ceremony would offer both of them a tremendous deal of money and prosperity. But, there was a catch associated with it. If they were ever to separate, it would be necessary for one of them to pass away, and it appears that Carabo made the decision that she would give her life for him in the event that their relationship ever ended. This guy is completely out of his mind. Sandile Manso was facing three counts prior to the commencement of his trial. One for murder with premeditation, one for obstructing the administration of justice, and one for assault with the purpose to inflict bodily damage. And in spite of the various accounts he told, Sandile did everything that was in his power to postpone the trial. Not only that, but in the process, he brought disrepute upon Carabo's reputation. 
I won't tell you what it is about since, in addition to being completely insulting to you, it's also not true. However, by the time his trial rolled around, Sam Nile had recanted his earlier allegations regarding the blood rites. It was now back to his earlier account of the events that took place. Protesters would gather in the streets outside the courthouses where he was being kept as the proceedings of the trial got underway. Nearly every area of the building was capable of hearing the outcry against the brutality that was committed against women. It was on day three when Sanile Manso took the stand, and as you might imagine given his narcissistic mentality, he did everything he could to portray himself in a favorable light. He attempted everything he could to paint himself in a positive light, informing those who listened that the only wrongdoing he had committed was an attempt to assist in the formation of a person. I was a good example for her to follow throughout her life. I was the one who encouraged her to get started on all of these things related to housing and other items. My role was to assist in the establishment of non-governmental organizations and goals. I have prior expertise in establishing non-profit organizations. I endeavored to be a constructive force in her life at all times. Nevertheless, it's a shame that I walked into her life at a time when things were already going poorly for her. Therefore, it's possible that I'm guilty of trying to construct a person and then being the last one there as she fell apart. You know what I mean. In light of this, the unvarnished reality is that I gave it my all. During the course of a trial, Judge Johnson made a request that further evidence and explanation be provided about the CCTV footage that was shown of Krabo and San Isle in the lobby of his apartment complex. The film would be analyzed by professionals from an outside party, who would then describe the sequence of events to the jury. This would provide more confirmation to the fact that even if Sandile had not been involved for Krabo's murder, he had plenty of time to tell employees or police. Instead, he would attempt to explain Krabo's disappearance while on a secret trip to London, deny involvement, plan alibis, and cover his tracks further by covering his tracks, denying involvement, and planting alibis. And because of this, San Almanzo's doom was sealed on Thursday, May 3, 2018, when San Isle was found guilty of killing Carabo Makona. This effectively ended San Almanzo's life. He was given a cumulative jail term of 32 years for his crimes. The judge ordered that the defendant serve five years in prison for assault, 30 years for murder, and four years for obstructing the administration of justice. Furthermore, it was determined that he is not suitable for parole. San Isle was given a severe sentence because, in the words of Judge Johnson, he was a devil in disguise with a cold heart and because he deserved nothing less. The court is at a loss for any other word to characterize you but a demon. She did not merit to die at your hands in this card in the manner in which she did, since she did not deserve it. Your callous attitude toward the dead might be inferred from the way you behaved after you were caught with her body. As his judgment was being read out, he pretended to be cool and composed while wearing an extravagant suit and a hefty gold watch, nearly acting like a superstore in the process. 
he avoided any and all accountability by acting this way. He ought to avoid being caught, maybe acting as if he was the devil himself masquerading as someone else. Throughout the commission of the crime, the aftermath, and throughout the trial, it was abundantly clear that Sanile did not exhibit any signs of shame or remorse for anything that he had done. Not only in his crimes or after, but even before, Sanile displayed a degree of arrogance and narcissism that really struck out to me in this instance. This is something that really stuck out to me. In reality, both his business and the advertising films he created for it were nothing more than an elaborate hoax. During the course of his trial, it came to light that he was genuinely in debt to the tune of thousands of dollars. More than 100 witnesses testified that they had their money stolen from them by the defendant. And with the money that he practically stole, he acquired his condo and his automobiles. All of these purchases were made in order to bolster his personal image and ego, despite the fact that his real justifiable profits were probably in the negative. And all the while he was playing the role of a God-loving, do-gooder, behind closed doors he was abusing Karabo, tormenting her all the way up to the conclusion of the story, which was her own demise. Even after he was arrested, he showed no compassion, sympathy, sorrow, ownership, or guilt. In short, he was heartless. And this case really brings up something that we should be actively interrogating ourselves about on a day-to-day -day basis, and that is, what are we doing to safeguard the women who are in violent relationships? Although South Africa is one of the countries that contributes the most to this figure, nearly every nation in the world is to blame. What actions are we taking in response to this? As I was saying before, the situation has a really bleak and twisted irony to it. Carabo was an intelligent woman who was also a caring mother. She has a degree in business studies and a pilot's license. But it was her generosity that drew her into taking care of ladies and assisting women who were in partnerships where they were mistreated. And it's possible that it was her generous nature that kept her with San Isle all these years. In this sick and twisted tragedy, however, she ended up falling prey to the same thing that she had been working so hard to overcome. Thank you for joining us today to discuss this case. We hope you found it engaging and informative. If you have any thoughts or suggestions, please share them with us in the comments below. Before we wrap up, we would like to hear your thoughts on the Krabo Makona and San Nile Manso situation. Do you believe justice was served for the crime committed? We appreciate your time and attention, and we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Until then, stay safe and take care of each other. Goodbye.